Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have a great show lined up for today. Um, some great information, as usual. You know, we're going to we're gonna start off with some information about retirement, right? Yeah, the truth about retirement. There was a survey that was done recently by uh, SHBC Bank, and um, they, they just asked some of the, some questions to um, to folks um, going into retirement. And it's interesting to see what their answers were. Sometimes they were spot on, but sometimes they missed it big time. So we're going to go through the questions and go through that uh, survey a little bit. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. A lot of misconceptions mm-hmm. out there about retirement, right? And then we're going to jump into the 10 things to consider before buying a vacation home. Um, you know, we hear that all the time from clients. Their dream is to buy a vacation home, to buy a place at the beach or the mountains or wherever their their dream place is. But, you know, there's some things you need to look at very closely before making that jump. And uh, this goes through it. It's based on an article out of U.S. News and World Reports. It's so, one of those things making sure it has a golf course. Uh, it would be for me, <laughs> yeah. you know. It'd be like on a golf course, on a golf maybe. course, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, everybody's got their their mm-hmm. thing, though, right? That's right. Right. So very interesting topic, though. You'll want to stick around from that. Um, by the way, I'm uh, Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with, with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Um, our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon, um, so you can just go to our website, yeah, right? Yeah, the website is moneymd.net. We have the podcast over on the right-hand side. You can listen to this week's. You can also go back and listen to the uh, the historical ones we have. We have a lot of great topics. Um, you know, we had my, uh, my, my dad in last week asking a really good question of the week, and um, you can go check that out and certainly look at uh, Facebook as well. We have a Twitter handle and Facebook. Both of them are MoneyMD. Uh, we'll post some videos on there periodically, so check that out. Yeah, that's right. You can also reach us by email. We'd love to have your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, um, so we're going to start off here, John, with the fact of the week. This comes from a Northwestern Mutual um, study, and this was done pretty recently. About half of uh, 2,800 adults that were surveyed, they had at least $25,000 of debt. Um, It doesn't say what kind of debt. could be student loans, credit cards, uh, autos, whatever. It does not include mortgage, um, you know, mortgage debt. So that's just consumer-related debt, half of 2,800. And so I did some calculations, uh, 8% interest rate on that yeah. would be about 500 bucks a month. 500 bucks 500 a month. 500 bucks a month. And wasting if, on interest. That's right. And if you, in, if you instead, and you would pay that for five years, okay, you would have paid $37,000 in payment. So your interest would have been $12,000 down the drain. Wow. Nothing. So just nothing to show threw away $12,000 due to debt. And if and you, this is consumer debt. It is consumer. And if you would save $500 a month for 15 years at an 8% interest rate, you'd have $175,000. So when you're paying money to other people, you're not building wealth. Right, exactly. You, so I mean, this is primarily credit cards and cars, mm-hmm. autos. Yeah, primarily. student loan probably. Student loans might be thrown in there. But, you know, for most adults, eventually they get those mm-hmm. paid off. So, But people will run credit cards and cars for their entire life. They'll mm-hmm. have those debts. Yeah, that's right. Never pay them off, you know. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I would have thought it would even been more, but that's a lot of money. $25,000 in debt, as you mentioned, a lot of interest that they're paying on that, like $500. Um, and then the month. opportunity cost is even bigger. You know, it is. Investing. Of course, we recommend they have no consumer debt. Mm-hmm. They pay off all their consumer debt, right? Quickly. Quickly. Gazelle, so, like Dave Ramsey says. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, interesting fact of the week. You don't want to be one of those people, half of adults, who have consumer debt. So if you're one of those folks out there, you know, maybe you want to go to a financial peace university and mm-hmm. figure out the, the method for getting out of it because um, it can be done. Yes, it can. Absolutely. Okay, great. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is retirement education is not enough. Um, the truth about retirement. That's right. That's right. There was a, a, a new um, study released by HSBC Bank um, this spring. And, um, you know, the good news is the, the answers are mostly on track. Um, you know, some of the answers were, but uh, retirement issues are widely discussed in the media. Um, most, of the, most of the time they're responsible. Um as opposed to say political, <laughs> right? Right. The fake news in a lot of cases, and um, you know that knowledge seems to have have permeated. So we're going to go through some of the key findings here. The first one here is um, is healthcare, and eighty two percent believe that future retirees are going to need to spend more on healthcare costs than uh, today's seniors. And yeah, yeah, I mean that's probably spot on. I think we'd right? agree with that. Sure. Yeah, I mean medical inflation obviously is. Um, is continues to increase faster than the uh, the consumer price index, and Washington's probably not going to repeal and replace the uh, current Affordable Care Act with something that's going to be more generous. Um, they're probably going to cut some of the benefits associated with it. So, most people believe, hey, healthcare is going to be a big part of retirement, and they're they're right on on that. Yeah, I think that's right. Here's another one that I think is. Um is is right and well not necessarily right i mean national debt um they say 76 percent believe that addressing the national debt will cause the government to cut its spending on the elderly um social security and health care i think the perception i mean that the number sounds right i would most people believe that i i don't necessarily agree with that and i'll go into that in a second but you know i mean this also seems very likely as far as the perception is concerned the federal government is quite capable of kicking the national debt can down the road and you know there's also the the modest possibility that washington will adopt a more european mindset and raise taxes uh to pay down the national debt while still maintaining retirees benefits but overall i mean that that does certainly seem like a possibility i personally believe that raising taxes is much more likely to happen uh than significant cuts because that's what history shows mm-hmm. you know, if you look at other countries they don't make cuts until they absolutely have to. Um, you know, you look at Greece, Argentina, and countries like that. So you don't. I, you don't get elected when you start. Exactly. <laughs> about exactly. Cuts. I mean, we can't even cut. You know, the the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you know, you're not even seeing much will to cut those benefits that were just put in place. Where with uh, you know the health care subsidies and things just put in place you know uh, five years ago or so and so i can't see them cutting social security or medicare in any real way i think those cuts won't come till there's a crisis Mm -hmm. and they have to cut it which of course will be a long ways down the road so they're a lot more likely to raise taxes to fix the problem i think than anything else i agree number three here on the list uh, of findings is um 65 percent expect to work during retirement that's probably too high i mean you know, in addition to those who, who need um, not to work during retirement, either because they, they have more assets or b- because they've 
um, you know, they can economize. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who just can't work and they can't work because they're, they're sick. Maybe their skills don't lend themselves to, um, post retirement work. I mean, not everybody can consult, right? So, um, you know, the two thirds of Americans plan to stay employed indicates that people understand, um, you know, the, the financial reality that they need to work, but it doesn't always translate into being able to work. So right. you know, that's, that's a tough one. I think that's true. I mean, we, we do see more and more people working part-time in retirement. Mm-hmm. That's right. Number four here on the list is interest rates. 52% believe that low interest rates mean that they will need to work for longer. Public split on this for good reason. There's really, it's kind of a hard question to answer. I mean, you know, low after inflation yields would suggest that retirees won't profit much from their financial assets and they'll need larger nest eggs. But low interest rates, you know, it could mean that, um, you know, they have they have better rates on their their debt, which will help them and so forth. So um, it's kind of a hard one to say. Um, Interest rates are certainly low now. People that have CDs and cash. It's definitely impacting them. There's no doubt. It hurts savers. It does. Sure. definitely hurts savers. So number five here is financial expectations. 41% believe they will be financially comfortable during their retirement, and that's based on their current savings. Only 41%. Yeah. Yeah, so well. that means 59% believe they won't be comfortable in retirement, and that does seem reasonable to me. You know, although some studies arrive at lower figures, um, their calculations tend a bit to assume an aggressive interpretation of what comfortable means, um, such as earning 80%, you know, of your income during retirement. Uh, but with a more relaxed definition of the term means something near half of the current workforce looks to be on track while the other half seems to be in trouble, you know, with major cuts to their standard of living coming. So um, that's an interesting finding. Too bad about that. But that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. The next one here is investments. 37% think that real estate will deliver the highest return in retirement savings. Um, so a little over a third folks think that real estate, it gives you the highest return. Uh, well, relatively few workers are true stock market owners, if you look at it. So this kind of stands to reason why people believe this, because there's so many people that don't invest in stocks. Uh, most either don't hold equities at all, um, but half of the country's employers don't have a 401k plan or have defaulted into the target date funds, whereas... Everybody knows about real estate. You know, everybody has a house. Everybody, you know, has thought about buying a piece of property, maybe, and renting it out. So that's kind of a natural perception, uh, but it's not accurate. Yeah, I mean, so real estate, you know, is, is certainly a, a part of someone's net worth, and it, and it can do well. I mean, it's purchased on leverage. There's some tax advantages, but it certainly shouldn't be the anchor for, for retirement savings. Um, you know, you, you got to have some other things going on to produce some income, um, but one of the questions that respondents really botched was whether stocks or cash were the better retirement savings option. And they rated the, the two as being roughly equal. Oh, wow. And of course, that's not the case. I mean, investment math remains perhaps the least understood topic of retirement planning. It depends on who you're talking about. Some people don't want the risk of stocks. And so cash is where they need to be. But, um, you know, providing some inflation protection um, you know, there's risk in cash too, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, everything has, you know, you're losing money every year. That's right. Guaranteed cash. to lose money with the inflation rate. So uh, you got to be careful with that one. Number seven here on the list is, um, you know, the expected retirement age was, uh, 61 and today that average is closer to, to 63. So, 
Um, you know, most workers won't uh, save what they need by the time Social Security payments even begin, so they have to work longer than that 61. And we do see people that have to work, you know, till 66 or 70 in some cases because every year that you wait on Social Security past the age of 62, it increases by 8%. So in yeah, that's a lot right. of cases, it, it makes sense to continue some form of work. Yeah, I think today's workers have a pretty good idea of how long, you know, they'll have to stay employed when you start looking at these statistics um, for for the full time. And they'll likely need to work, you know, after the official retirement date, as this study shows. And, um, you know, there's going to be health care bills that are likely to go up and they, they recognize that they're not going to go down. Um, they remain somewhat lost with the investment topics, and that's why half of the surveys respondents do expect to seek some sort of professional assistance when it comes to the investments. And I think, of course, we think that's smart um, because it's very, very complicated. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, awareness is certainly up on financial topics, but awareness doesn't pay the bills. Um, I mean, Americans seem to understand the retirement landscape pretty well per the survey. But, you know, the action speaks louder than than words. I mean, the median 401k contribution is only 6%. Um, that's that's much lower than the 10-plus rate that's needed for most people. And, you know, Dave Ramsey, and, and we believe 15% should be the target associated with it. And, and the lesson for the overall retirement planning community is the same as it was in the 80s and 90s. Education alone is not sufficient. I mean, seminars and articles that are met with nods of approval, people saying, yeah, I understand, um, are, are not enough. I mean, the 401k response, which I like, was to seize the initiative from the employees. They default them into a plan rather than requiring them to act. So, um, you know, there's a gap, Steve, and, and you know, what is needed is, is um, you know, a change in the behavior. We see there's a lot of education out there. You got the, the Ramseys and the Susie Ormans and the Clark Howards out there. But, you know, we see a lot of times people aren't doing the behavior. They have the knowledge, but they're not making those steps. So uh, somehow the, the retirement discussions need to head in the direction of action versus just knowledge. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think the survey points out some good gaps in that um, between actions and knowledge. People tend to understand the plight they're in, but they're not, they're not doing anything doing about it, it, John. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, it's time to get out there and do something about it. Um, yeah. So speaking of which, uh, that brings us up to the question of the week. Yeah, this question is um, from a small business owner has 10 employees and uh, they want to set up a retirement plan as an employee benefit. What are what are my options? Um, a couple of different options. We'll start off with probably the, the better one is the simple uh, IRA plan right. um, <clears throat> It's made for small businesses, less than 100 employees. You basically provide a 3% match if the person contributes. If they contribute zero, you don't have to put any in. Right. Um, so it's a way that you can sock some away. Um, you know, there's a tax benefit today for putting it into the simple plan. Very easy to, to administer. There's no Department of Labor type regulations that um, or forms, Form 5500 that you have to fill out. So that's a good option. So there's no administrative cost with that's that. That's right. That's right. And, you know, people can put in 12500 or if they're over 50, up to $15,000 per year this year as an employee deferral. Mm-hmm from their salary. So that's, yeah, that's a great option. It's a great option. Another option is 401k. It's a little bit more, um, it's more complicated. You know, intensive from an administration standpoint. If you have 10 employees, simple IRA is going to be a reasonable way to go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's 401ks, there's profit sharing plans. You can put more money in them. They get obviously a lot more expensive. You're looking at least several thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. in administrative cost. Um, but you can get more money in them. So, uh, yeah, the options are, 
kind of expound from there. But uh, those are the two main ones, though. So great question of the week. Okay, and that leads up to our next topic, and that is the things to consider before buying that dream vacation home. John, yeah, I mean, we hear this over and over, you know, everybody wants to to own the dream home. Mm -hmm. Um, They jump into it, you know, but then maybe after they've owned it a couple years, they start having second thoughts um, because it's not exactly what they thought or else it's more expensive than they thought. Mm -hmm. It's not as good of an investment as they thought. So here are some things to look at. Um, you know, I mean, as you lug your ski gear to your favorite resort for the uh, umpteenth time or you search VBRO or VRBO, you know, for lodging near your favorite beach again, maybe you think life would be a lot easier if you had your own vacation home. I mean, vacation home sales, they, they peaked at 1.1 million in 2014. That was the highest number since the uh, Association of Realtors began collecting data back in 03 um, before dropping off the past few years as prices have skyrocketed for vacation homes. So demand has kind of outstripped the supply here recently. And uh, vacation home sales were, were made up 21% of residential wow. transactions in 2014. It's a big number. So, big number. A lot of people are doing it. Yeah. And while owning your own vacation home may make logistical sense, um, you know, I don't know about the financial sense. It, it just depends. But it's not a decision to be entered into lightly. Experts say it takes uh, that for a lot of people, it's a matter of dollars and cents. It's a matter. It, it's really it's not a matter of dollars and cents. It's really a matter of experience. And there's a lot of pride and joy in owning your own vacation place. And that's why a lot of people do it. Yeah. I mean, for most people, money will, will certainly play a big role in that decision. Um, baby boomers who have sold their family Homes for cash may choose to invest some of that cash maybe in a winter home and in a warm climate and uh, other future retirement destinations. And um, in some cases, they may, um, homeowners don't rent out their properties, but may move one home from one home to another. So they're kind of kind of hopping around based on the weather. Maybe they have family up north and, and they choose to, to live up there during the summer. Others may buy a vacation home with the idea of renting it when they're not using it to help defray you know, some of the cost and um, say some may not be able to afford a vacation home unless they rent it out. So a lot of different scenarios we see out there, but definitely money is going to play a role in this decision. Yeah, definitely. They give an example in this article of a guy, Rob Stevens and his family who bought a three bedroom condo in Vail, Colorado in 99 um, with rental income in mind. Um, You know, having a getaway place in the mountains was a big motivator, he says. When he started, um, he really liked uh, the. He really needed to rent the place to make his mortgage payment. To to him, owning his own real estate in Vail was a long term, uh, good investment. He thought, um, and you know maybe it's turned out that way. Um, but he's the manager of uh, of Alvalga Girl. Okay, anyway, My Lodge <laughs> Tax is a company that. Um, helps owners with local lodging tax laws. Hmm. So that's another aspect to think about. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can rent your place out, yeah, there's right. local lodging tax laws to deal with. But yeah, if you want rental income, it's important to choose a home that can be rented at a frequency to cut that you need to cover expenses. And that means choosing a community that allows vacation rentals and then making sure that you're set up to take advantage of the rental potential from furnishing the unit to having a plan for advertising and handling tenants. Um, You need to know before you buy it whether you'll rent 
what what you need, how much you need to rent it, and whether you'll be able to rent it um, enough to cover your expenses. So here are 10 things to consider when looking for vacation homes. First one is, of course, can you afford it? Rental real estate is not a liquid investment. Um, And you can't count on being able to sell it for a profit or even break even, especially in your first few years of ownership. I mean, during recessions, homes lost value, um, more than half their value. In fact, in Florida, in Arizona, and Nevada, back during the Great Recession, 2008 and 2009, among other places. So be realistic and make sure you can afford to float the property, even if you can't rent it. You know, there are likely going to be times when rents will be slack or don't need repairs and affording it shouldn't be a close call. Yeah. So you also, you got to make sure you know the rules. I mean, not all homes can be used as rental property. Um, some homeowner or condo associations, uh, they may set the, the rules for rentals, um, as may some cities. I mean, some res- resorts may require you to use their programs, which set standards for interior furnishings and amenities where the property handles the logistics for a percentage of the rent, so they manage it for you. So if you plan to rent out your property, um, you got to know these rules before you buy it because these rules can can uh, drastically change your cost and also affect your cash flow as well. Absolutely. And also make sure you calculate all the cost. I mean, the actual purchase price is really only part of what you're going to need to spend. You know, you're also going to have to pay utilities. You're going to have the HOA or condo fees, property taxes, insurance, cost of furnishing a new home, down to the spoons and forks. And if you're in a resort area, you may also need or want, you know, skis, snowboards, kayaks, water toys, bikes, or other gear that typically goes with such a, you know, a resort type property like that. Items like those um, that are used by renters, they won't last nearly as long as they would if you're using them yourself. So count on replacing those items every couple of years. Yeah, I have, um, I know some folks that own a a beach house down in Edisto. And um, when the hurricane came through last year, major, um, you know, property damage. And they had homeowner's insurance, but you'd be amazed at what is not covered um, by homeowner's insurance. Um, They had to repaint their house because of, um, the debris and the sand blowing and so forth, that wasn't covered. They ended up putting wow. probably $75,000 into that home. My goodness. So when you're on the beach or wherever, there's going to be one-time events that, that you got to be prepared for. Exactly. You know, it's hard, yeah. And it's hard to estimate what that is. I mean. And the wear and tear being on the beach is mm-hmm. extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My grandmother used to have a house there and we were working on it all, all the, the time. time. Yeah, I right. mean, screen doors every year. You have yeah. to replace screen doors. It was crazy. It really was. Next here is be realistic in your expectations of rental income. Yeah, I mean, renting out a vacation home comes with expenses. You know, you're going to need to pay for cleaning between tenants. Um, you know, that may be included, but then there's advertising. There's perhaps property management fees if you're not managing it yourself. Um, if you're part of a, of a resort rental program, uh, they're going to take a percentage of your rents. There may be deep cleaning of carpets and upholstery that will be needed at the start of every season, which won't be covered by cleaning fees charged to renters. You know, canvas your neighbors before you start to get an idea of how often they're able to rent their properties and for how much. You also need some real data. So ask the, the, the seller for rental records going back five years before you purchase a rental property. Yeah. Another one on the list here, Steve, is to, to, to know how often you're going to visit. I mean, if you don't rent out your unit, you want to make sure that you will visit 
enough to make the purchase worthwhile. So pick a place that you love and you want to return too frequently and, and you don't want to, your home to sit unoccupied for long periods. And if it's not rented, you'll want to plan to go up there every month during peak season, maybe every two months during the, during the off season. And if the idea of making six to 10 trips um, each year sounds like a burden, then perhaps you would be better off renting that property, you know, instead of buying one. So if you, if you only plan to go four times a year, it certainly would be a lot cheaper um, to rent just about anywhere than actually owning. Yeah, that's right. Good point. Yeah, and have a plan for emergencies. If you don't visit the house often, make sure somebody does. You know, a water leak can be devastating. Um, of course, that can be devastating in you know, a very short period of time. <laughs> you know, if you're renting, repairs need to be made quickly. So, you know, get to, get to know a good handyman or property manager in the area. If there's a hurricane, you'll need somebody to put up shutters before the storm and remove them afterwards and secure the home if it suffers suffers damage. So you need to have a plan for emergencies. Also, protect your home when it's vacant. Vacant homes attract thieves. So take steps to keep your home from looking empty. You know, consider lights on timers, asking neighbors to occasionally park in your driveway. Make sure someone picks up the mail and flyers so it's not obvious that, that no one's home. Also, invest in a, a video security system for a few thousand dollars where you can view the footage remotely from your phone or your computer when you're not there. Um, it'll pay for itself in time, time and again, um, in the peace of mind that mm-hmm. it provides to be able to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And another one here on the list is make sure you have a, a rental business plan. I mean, if you're counting on that rental income, um, you may have to hire a management company, or if you do it yourself, you got VRBO or Airbnb. Um, you got to figure out how to do the payments. Do you use PayPal? Uh, you got to have a cleaning service. Um, so you got to have a plan on how you're going to get that rent and make sure that you stay in the black. Um, so you got to set that out on the front end. And then next here, calculate your return on investments. You have to be realistic here. I mean, if owning a vacation home is part of your overall investment strategy, then make sure it's a good move. Estimate your returns and weigh them against the other uses of your money. You know, an investment property, it needs to return 10 to 15% on equity um, to compensate you for your efforts and the lack of liquidity because this is a different type of investment. This isn't like owning a mutual fund. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're using leverage with mortgage, then it needs to be on the high end of that um, since you're taking additional risk. So consider the fact that you can stick your money in a, in stocks and you can make 8 to 10% over time, you know, according to history with total liquidity, no effort or no use of leverage. So you need to consider their alternatives if it's primarily an investment property. And then lastly here, I mean, expect to pay taxes. Rental income is taxable on state and federal returns. Um, through, though most vacation homeowners, you know, they won't earn enough after expenses to face a, a big tax liability, um, you still need to be mindful of it. And so if you are, are doing short-term rentals, usually less than six months, your state and county will consider you an innkeeper and expect you to collect the same lodging taxes that hotels collect and will pay those, uh, you know, to the appropriate authorities. So if you're renting uh, a home, an apartment, a room, you're basically running a mini hotel with the same rules uh, varying by state and county. So in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, for example, uh, there's 11% uh, tax that's due, a 6% state tax, uh, 5% to the county. So 
you know, there's there's 11% tax. So this is not a insignificant factor. Make sure you understand all those factors and factor that into your plans and into your your uh, financial considerations for a vacation home. Yeah, good, good topic. All right, and that leads us up here to our last topic, and that is the prescription of the week. Yes, yeah, so this is um, a prescription about Christmas. Oh, really? Yeah. What's a little early for that, isn't well, it, John? it is, you know, Christmas in June. So um, you want to make sure that you're spending your Christmas money in June. Um, if you're not, you should be. And what I mean by that is reserve that Christmas budget every single month. So yep. as an example, let's say um, family of, of four, let's say you have a, a target of, um, let's just make it easy, $1,200 for a year. You would want to save $100 per month. It's like the old Christmas club. Right. It's a very simple concept. You just got to budget it. Not a lot of people do it. So that $100 True. in January and February and March, you put it into a separate account, set it aside, and you technically spend it from your budget so you're not spending it on something else. And so when Christmas comes, you have that money sitting there and you can go spend it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'll one up you. I mean, I think you should even actually buy the presents early. Well, there you go. You know, I mean, Nothing. sales. How about the back-to-school sale? It starts in August. I mean... Father's Day just, Father's just Day happened. sales. Yep. You got these sales. I mean, it'd be a great time to, you know, have that list, prepare for it early, mm-hmm. not only save the money, but actually buy the presents on deep discount there sales. There you go. I like it. You want up me. There you go. There you <laughs> go. So that's the prescription of the week. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVistor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.